New Orleans is a city full of charm, but it can be a city full of harm. It's a city enriched with multicultural influence, music, art, and festival. However, wrapped around the city's colorful history is a dark chain of tragic and evil events. Stories of war, natural disasters, a murderous socialite, riots and lynchings, and even the legend of the infamous Axeman murders. In 1918 to 1919, New Orleans was terrorized by a faceless axe-wielding serial killer who broke into the homes of Italian immigrants and attacked them with an axe. The city called him the Axeman of New Orleans. To this very day, his legend remains, and the whereabouts of his identity still remain unknown. Who was the Axeman of New Orleans? Why did he only target Italian business owners? Was he really a demon? How does the story come to an unusual ending in Los Angeles? And does his spirit still haunt a famous hotel courtyard in the French Quarter? This is the true crime and paranormal aftermath of the Axeman of New Orleans. Hey guys, welcome back to Hollywood Paranormal. We're your hosts, Tammy Merhap Chavez. Hello, I'm Bryce Mitchell Williams. And welcome for episode seven. We're going to be talking Ooh. about the Axeman of New Orleans, or for some of you guys, New Orleans, oh, or fuck. God, my worst, worst favorite is uh, Nolans. Oh. <laughs> Does anyone actually say it like that? Yeah, it's the people okay. that um, are not from there. <laughs> oh, interesting. I'm originally from New Orleans, and yeah, you hear me how I'm pronouncing it, New Orleans, and every time, mm-hmm. every time I, I tell people that, I get one of three things. Oh, oh, Hurricane Katrina. Oof. I'm like you. You do. You do know that that was 13 years ago. Yeah, but how are you? How are you? How are you guys grabbing my hand? We're uh, we're we're still underwater. Can't you believe that? I know. <laughs> we're the new Atlantis. I know. We are like the movie It. Come float with Ooh. us. Down here we float. You know, <laughs> <laughs> literally down here we float. Ooh. So, and then the other one is um, the old like the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. When I tell them this, they start singing that one song. There is a house. I'm like, please don't say it in New Orleans. Oh, I'm like, no. Jesus. Fu-. Yeah, yeah. I, yes, I've heard of that I've heard song. Of that song. Thank you. Thank you for singing, serenading that for me. In my me. face, yeah. In my face. Like, okay. And then the last one is, oh, New Orleans. You mean Nolans. Nolans. Is that how you guys say? Do you do you guys like say it like that? Exactly like that? I'm like, do you hear me saying it? No, like? I'm yeah, I'm <laughs> I, I'm saying it like this. Yeah. It Unless you're a local, like we call it NOLA. That's oh, the new term right. now. It's all NOLA. Mm-hmm. It's NOLA this. You either name your dog NOLA, Aww. you name a cafe NOLA, you name a beer NOLA, you name a new restaurant NOLA. There's NOLA Bean, NOLA News, NOLA.com. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. I think I have five friends from there who have named their pets NOLA. That's adorable. It's adorable. I know. I wanted to have a puppy and name him Nola, but it's like already taken. I wanted to have a beer and name it Nola. That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> this is Nola. 
<laughs> your dog? No, my beer. My beer. It's <laughs> <Mama>. <laughs> that's so interesting. I think that's a true of any like city with a heritage. Like right, New Orleans is such like a everyone associates it with Mardi Gras. So it sort of has this like mythos beyond. Yes. So there is like that thing of like, oh my God, like Vegas, you know, any of those big cities that oh, have yeah. like a personality. Yeah. People just impose like whatever they've seen on like a movie. Exactly. Like, no, I lived there. It's like, it's a city. It's a city. Like, we live there. We yeah. don't party every single, well, we kind of do. Yeah, <laughs> we, well, sure. I mean, d- d- don't get me wrong. And I always tell people this too, like in the intro, I even mm. mentioned New Orleans is a city full of charm, but it's also a city full of harm. Yeah. Like, you got to have very strong spidey senses. Mm-hmm. And when I tell people that are traveling there, they're like, oh, my God, we're going to get so wasted. I'm like, OK, look, let me tell you something. Like, mm-hmm. New Orleans, great city. It's a great, awesome city. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it could be a very rough city. You don't ever ask a random stranger out on a random street for directions. Yeah. You don't ever 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 go west of bourbon street uh. <laughs> unless you want to be beaten and robbed or both Ooh. so yeah like now because i go to new orleans every single summer for my mm-hmm. birthday i spend time with my family i love it i go and try out the new restaurants and bars with my friends yeah we party but we're smart about it you have to be you have to be very smart and i know that there's been a new string of crime where thugs are going into cafes during the day between the hours of noon and three and they'll rob the cafe they'll rob the patrons and they'll rob the cafe what you can be sitting down having your coffee and some like this group of guys masks and weapons in hand barge in and oh rob. my god that is so brazen it's very it's gotten really bad and it's um even reached to the little like suburban areas outside of sure. new orleans uh, even my sister's area, she lives in Lakeview. My mom lives in Metairie. I was even reading NOLA.com because I always read it religiously online mm-hmm. once a week just to, you know, figure out what's going on yeah. in my city. And sure enough, there was like, oh, a murder happened down the street, you know, from my mom's house. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. Like, it's really terrible. bad. It's really bad. But, you know, as long as you have your spidey senses mm-hmm. and, you know, you're smart, mm-hmm. You'll be fine. Can I just say that if someone tried to rob me, I would give them my money in a heartbeat. But if they tried to take my coffee, <laughs> they would have to kill me. They would have to kill. Like you can have my money, you can have like my shirt, like whatever. But if you try and take this cup of coffee, excuse me. Yeah, like you're gonna need to. You better make sure you kill me because. Mm-mm, mm-mm, there's no way. Bitch, better have my coffee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, someone, this little old woman tried to cut me in line at Starbucks today, and it got pretty hayfy pretty quick. No Oh, way. yeah, girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I feel like my spidey sense is tuned into that, but also a little, like, fight me. Fight me. Maybe I shouldn't go to New Orleans. <laughs> no. no, I think you'll, you'll, you'll settle in okay, really great. well. <laughs> you, oh, my God. You, you already have, like, the... the the brazenness for it. So. Oh, perfect. Oh, my God. But I will say, Bourbon Street is like Las Vegas on bath salts. That's all I can say. <laughs> That's amazing. It's on bath salts. But I, I love it when people, you know, when they ask me, well, do you have a scary story mm-hmm. of New Orleans? Like zombies. I'm like, girl, let me tell you about a story about zombies. They're mm-hmm. called tourists from the Midwest yes. that come to Bourbon Street. They're shirtless. They're no. wandering. You know, drunk. They have the Pat O'Brien's hurricane red mustache, and oh, part of it like got no. all over their chest, and they're staggering. To me, that is the nastiest of the zombies. <laughs> really, though, oh. it's so interesting. As someone who came from the Midwest, I mm-hmm. was always like, "No, we're like not that bad." And now that I've lived 
in Los Angeles along like for enough time. I don't think you know in some ways it is home, but I I always know that I'm not a local Angelino. Mm-hmm. But man, do tourists get on my nerves now? Like they're <laughs> sort of like bright eyed road blockage essentially they're, they're always the in your why way we have traffic yeah they're <laughs> always kind of in your way and they're like not kind of aware of like the situations around right them right to their own detriment of safety like it's ridiculous like that does now drive me crazy so i think i'm like in that weird in-between zone like i'm not a full tourist anymore no or like a visitor like i do feel like an Angelino in some ways, but then there are other times, like you're saying, where it's just still yeah. like, no, you're not from here. <laughs> you're definitely not. Because I would, I would have a red mustache for sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. We've all been there, especially yeah. when you go to New Orleans. I you just it. don't know any better. I, I always tell people to like avoid Bourbon Street. Go, go to Frenchman. Go to Hotel Montelion and get the Zazerac. Ooh. What's that? That is a local drink, baby, and that's what we drink over there: Zazeracs, our amazing. beers, everything. Oh. I miss it. Every summer I go there and I'm always introduced to something new. I love it. Or I, I'm, you know, an OG and I kick it with my Sazerac. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You heard me, baby. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. So let's uh, cut the banter with an X yes. and get into this meat Ooh. of the story. Yeah, you like that? That was very okay, good. Okay, how about another one? Um, let's cut into this into the meat of the story Ooh. with an axe. Let's slice right into it. Let's slice right into it. All right, guys. So we're going to be talking about the Axemen of New Orleans. And first off, what we're going to do is we're going to paint a little picture mm-hmm. of what New Orleans was before all this partying in Bourbon Street and mm-hmm. Pat O'Brien's hurricanes. We're going to talk about how New Orleans was as a city mm-hmm. in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And then Bryce is going to take us through a little walk with what happened between 1918 and mm-hmm. 1919, who were these victims of the Axeman, and including a letter. Yes, a little dance with the devil. A little dance with the devil, indeed. Ugh. And then we're going to talk about, you know, possible suspects and motives. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, what you all have been waiting for, the paranormal aftermath. Mm-hmm. There is a, a picture that has been circulating on Creepypasta. And if you follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we have posted this picture. Mm-hmm. And it is what some claim to be the Axeman of Oof. New Orleans walking into his final victim's home, which is Michael Pepitone. So we'll discuss that and the courtyard that claims to have hauntings. Yeah. And they claim that it's the spirit of the Axeman. Mm. So we'll go into that. Right now, we're going to paint a little picture of New Orleans, guys. So here's a little preface. During the 1880s, New Orleans is a port town, okay? So you have all of these immigrants coming to this port town. You have Italians, you have Irishmen, you have Haitians, you have a few Dutch, you have Spanish and French. So you have a lot of Italians during this time migrating into New Orleans. They're, you know, entering the city for a better life. Mm. They're leaving Sicily due to oppression. So they were not well liked. Mm. Their entrance was not well welcomed. (laughs) And they were constantly being ridiculed and even beaten on the streets, mainly by Irishmen. But things take a very violent turn in October of 1890. So according to an article on NOLA.com, on the night of October 15th, 1890, a group of unknown assailants wielding shotguns cut down New Orleans police chief (gasps) David Hennessy. 
Oh All right, God. you picked the wrong person for one thing. As he was heading down his ba- uh, Basin Street to his Gerard Street home. Now, returning fire, but failing to strike any of his attackers, the chief of police collapsed in the street, and the sound of his gunfire alerted his friends who were nearby, and they rushed to his aid. So um, when they asked the badly wounded Hennessy who attacked him, this is just legend, but legend has it. He said Dagos. And then Hennessy dies the next day oh due to God. his in- injury. So if you do not know what a Dago is, it's a really, oh. it's a really, it's it's very, it's a disrespectful term mm-hmm. to identify in a, you know, person of Ita- Italian descent is really bad. So a trial file followed with nine Sicilian assailants soon after, but they had been acquitted. But police had returned them to the parish prison on Marius Street. The site is now part of Armstrong Park, which is off of Rampart, because they all had other outstanding charges against them. But the mob encountered little resistance from the police who were guarding the prison. And it's like the priests were like, well, we're, we're not seeing anything. Wow. Yeah, because, I mean, you had the chief of police attacked and then he died. Mm-hmm. So the police is like, we're looking the other way. Wow. Make your way into the station, why don't you? So the mob goes in. They end up finding the nine assailants, and they all they, they shoot them down. All nine of them, they shoot them down. And they oh also God. shot a shipping magnet, J.P. Uh, Macheka. So by 1905, almost half of the French Quarter's population was Italian-born or second-generation Italian. As the Italian population boomed, so did the need for protection. Mm. Underground families and communal organizations emerged, birthing the first mafiosos in U.S. history. And we'll touch on them soon Mm -hmm. because they are a part of this investigation. Mm -hmm. So what some may not know is that these axe murders that happened in 1918 to 1919 may have started earlier. Yes. So between 1911 and 1912, a string of similar axe-related murders occurred throughout New Orleans, and they thought to be a prelude or a prologue to the later events. Multiple couples, all of Italian descent, were battered to death during the night, and it was believed that the Italian mafia had hired an individual to perform these killings throughout New Orleans and even parts of Texas. And this individual also uncovered a fascination for murdering people in a grim and bloody manner, using an axe and then we hit 1918 Mm -hmm. and we just entered world war one and then we have the murders yes oh that is (laughs) too much yeah and that's such a good point i love that you brought that up Mm -hmm. of just like that there are some that were earlier yeah but that it almost is like this weird progression so like with this first one joseph maggio Mm -hmm. is the first victim that they absolutely a tribute to the axe murderer but um sorry your husband just walked by in my peripheral vision and scared me so did he have an axe he did not thank goodness i'm sure you can smell his axe perfume Ooh, <laughs> that's why i was so scared no he's fancy like um, that he doesn't wear that no i'm just such a little jittery bunny <laughs> um no and so what i was going to say before i got terrified <laughs> Um, is that there's this progression mm-hmm. of, and so that's why they have a little bit of trouble, I think, with the earlier murders that they probably were occurring before 1918, mm-hmm. but that because he was using 
different methods than what like the quote unquote axe murderer victims were attacked with. Right. They don't necessarily assign them to him. And so mm-hmm. this first one, Joseph Maggio, is the first official victim of the twelve. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is that he and his wife Catherine, uh, in May, they are found um, and a killer broke into their home and actually cut their throats. So this is a little bit different uh, from what will then come, but they were cut with a straight razor, uh. like how a barber would use, and then they were bludgeoned with an axe. So it's kind of this weird hybrid killing, and what they think is that they were the cause of death was the straight razor and then as an attempt to try and cover the cause of death uh-huh. they were then attacked post-mortem with the axe which I find Ugh. so calculating and creepy yeah. like you already did the deed and now you're gonna go back and like bludgeon a corpse and her neck specifically was so heavily damaged that she was nearly decapitated like uh. her head was barely attached to her shoulders so like again this starts and there's sort of an, a heightened aggression towards the women victims as yeah. opposed to the male victims. Yeah, because she got the like the worst part yes, of it. Yes, it was. I mean, he was also killed. Oh my um, gosh. But and so then this is where it gets like so this first one really sets off like a lot of dominoes in motion. So people think it's an Italian barber lumberjack. It's terrifying, and what happens <sighs> is that it's actually. Joseph Maggio, his brother, is the one that found them because they shared, like, a wall. They, like, mm-hmm. lived next door to each other, which can you imagine finding your sibling, like, in that... A, in finding, that state, yeah. Yeah, just how, oh, how heartbreaking. And he actually told police that the razor that was then found later... Uh-huh. So, like, the police totally bungle this. Like, mm-hmm. they don't do a search of the area right away. Awesome. The bodies had been removed before they even do, like, a sweep of the perimeter they find both the axe and the razor that was used in different parts of the yard and the brother is like oh that's joseph's razor he owned a barber shop and he had taken it with him a few days prior to the murder because it had like broken or something Mm -mm. and so this starts and the weapons are mostly owned by the victims it's not someone who has their own weapon they no. go to the places, and then this man uses what he has to do the deed. So this first weapon. And because of that, his brother, uh, Joseph's brother, is then, like, the main suspect because he knew what the murder weapon was, why it was missing from the barber shop. Mm-hmm. He was the first to find them. And it starts this string of, like, it's this weird thing where, like, they can't figure out who it is and, like, the bumbling sort of, like, tiny little mistakes create these giant loopholes for the actual Axeman to slip through. Right. So they, you know, of course, it's not his brother. He's blamed, but he has an alibi. Mm-hmm. And there was several people that saw him and he was so intoxicated from the night before that he slept at the the bar he was at and didn't leave that bar until the next morning so there was no like he had witnesses thank god because he was like the number one suspect he was a staggering zombie he (laughs) he was he had a red mustache 1918 and so 
because of all of that, he didn't find them for like two hours. And Ugh. then like he could hear, and this is so graphic, but he could like hear moaning through the wall. And when he went to find them, they had like died essentially. And like because of his intoxicated state, like, yeah. he couldn't get to them in time, which is so sad. So those are the first two victims. Mm-hmm. And again, that is treated as just a one-off because this is the first. So then the next one is Louis Bissummer and Harriet Lowe. Those are the next two victims. And again, it's this thing of the incident is so quick and so violent. Uh-huh. But then the dominoes that it set into motion are so chaotic that it creates just the perfect veil of chaos for these murders to continue. Mm-hmm. So they... Uh, Louis Bessemer is a grocer mm-hmm. and he and Harriet were attacked in the back of the store and he is hit in the head and then she is actually so he's hit in like the temple uh-huh. so it's like a pretty fatal yeah. and then she is clipped on the ear oh shit I know so again and she loses consciousness um, and then they're found later that next morning by the bread delivery to the store Mm. so again the guy who was delivering the bread is the prime suspect because he's the one that found them and always like that the person that finds the bodies is the number one suspect yes and again the axe belonged to Bessemer and it was in the apartment above the stairs so it's like all these things that look like well, someone must have known, like, this bread guy is the delivery mm-hmm. every week. He would know to, like, put it in their home. He would know he had an axe. He's the number one. And he's cleared, again, has an alibi. And then they arrest. Again, again the only reason I'm bringing up all of these, like, false victims mm-hmm. is because it just spreads this wide, chaotic energy through the city. Of oh, just, yeah. like, there's no definitive suspects and it just gets more and more outlandish mm-hmm. and people are getting more and more afraid so they arrest after they clear the bread delivery men they arrest Louis Ubicon and he was a 41 year old African American who worked for Louis Bessemer at the store and so of course blame the brother literally blame the brother so you had mm-hmm. mentioned with all of the You know, there's all of these groups melding in this city, Mm -hmm. and the racism is rampant. Yeah, everyone's against everyone. Everyone hates the Irish, the Italians, you know, the African Americans. Everybody. The Haitians, the French, they're all like... The lines have been drawn, and you don't cross them. Yeah, you never cross those lines. And so they arrest him, and the woman said that she thought she had been attacked by a light-skinned mulatto man. That's her words, not mine. (laughs) And they didn't, and they, instead of believing what she said, just said, oh no, she's in trauma. It's this black man. Like, we're going to keep him. Even (laughs) though she said, like, no, 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 that's not who attacked us. They (laughs) don't believe her. So, like, they're like, no, no, we think it is. It's just, I they just said that she was in a delusional, delusional state. state. No. <laughs> Terrible. You're a woman and you're delusional. A hundred percent. Like Period. Oh, no. <laughs> Which I believe that was the mindset back then. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. Like, oh, we have a black man. He's definitely guilty. And mm-hmm. the only person like trying to free him is a woman. Those yeah. are two unreliable sources in 1918. Like, yeah. It's Done. crazy. Done. Thank God. They... Uh, follow a smidgen of police protocol they don't have enough evidence so they have to let him go and it was not him or like obviously like there was no evidence against him they just like 
pointed to the nearest yeah. black wanted, employee and like, like arrested oh, him. Oh, you did it. It was horrible. So then it gets even crazier because they were unable to find sufficient evidence. The attention of both the media and the police turned on Bessemer himself. So even though he was attacked in the temple, they sorry not in like a synagogue temple in his head <laughs> temple. As I said, I was like, wait, what's happening? They, you know, of course, they found the axe in the apartment upstairs. So mm-hmm. they start searching and they find this trunk full of letters in different languages. So there's letters in what? German. There's letters in, uh, I want to read it because it's like r- three really specific languages. Let me see if I can find it. I can't. So just know that one of them was German. <laughs> so they think he's a German spy. As you were saying, World War One in full swing. Here we go. And they do. It turns into a media circus. And how many times have we seen this where it's like the media gets a hold of it mm-hmm. and it makes it so much worse. I mean, we were talking about this in the earlier episode with the Black Dahlia. That just once they latch on to something that sells a paper, mm-hmm. that's it. And so now this man is being accused of being a German spy, is being accused of attacking them, and then to top it all off, Harriet Lowe, who you remember from the ear chopping, mm-hmm. regains consciousness in the charity hospital and says, oh yeah, he's a German spy. Uh, so when she says Excuse it, me, ma'am, you're mm-hmm. delusional. No, opposite. <laughs> so when it's a black man that she's trying to exonerate, she's delusional. But when it's her lover, because, oh, twist they're not married secret love secret love oh my god yeah secret Um, lovers man yeah so it's just all this chaos and she just like loves the attention i think that's i mean that's just pure conjecture on my part but it's like the only way i can explain her actions of just like constantly being like it's this one it's this thing it's Mm -hmm. this new one like just loves it so basically she becomes the center of a full-on media circus. Like, they... <laughs> it's so juicy. It, like, German spy, secret I lovers. I know. It's all the things of, like, 1918, 1919 that everyone's, like, afraid of. And right. she is just there to stir that pot. All right. Yeah. You mean that gumbo pot? I do mean that. The gumbo pot. I love gumbo. <laughs> um, so she, she does. She basically dies... Uh, sorry, she um, says that uh, Louis Bessemer is a German spy, mm-hmm. so he's in prison for nine months, and then they finally acquit him because there's, again, the only evidence is, like, that there's letters, like, being bilinguals on a crime, <laughs> and she's, like, the only person that has even said anything. Yeah, of, you're like, screwed if you know German, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, especially in the 1900s, like, ooh. So while she's in the hospital, it's found out that she's not his wife, but his mistress. And his real wife flies in from Cincinnati. Get it, girl. And is all like, no, this is done. Like, I don't want you having any part of this. Like, Mm -hmm. she's out of our business. She's out of our lives. She's all of it. Like, if you have to fly in from Cincinnati, like, it just got real. (laughs) So, again, her arrival, like, everyone's like it's like this gossip fodder for the entire city so like she arrives and people go crazy and then she so then Lo now as she's like kind of getting ousted by the actual wife Mm -hmm. go figure (laughs) she starts making like crazier and crazier statements to kind of keep the limelight on her 
And so she basically attacks the New Orleans chief of police, the new one, and says, like, it's his incompetence and that she, like, will no longer, quote, be helping with their investigation because, like, <sighs> they Christ. failed her. Yeah. It's, like, all of these crazy things and, like, she's just trying to prod the scandal. And basically she has a surgery because from the initial attack Mm -hmm. of the axeman, her one side of her face is paralyzed. She has a surgery to like fix that and it goes wrong and she actually ends up dying. Yeah. So like I hate Uh, to say karma, karma? but like also a little bit of karma. Oh no. I know. This is what happens. It's when you sleep with a merry man. Look, let me tell you about the South. There's that saying, keep that nickel between your knees like your mama taught you, okay? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And don't lie about black people. Like those are the two rules. And she broke them into this. (laughs) She broke them both. So that sort of ends their chapter. And again, this is so early. They are probably the most media like circus of the murders right but it's only the second event so again no one has pieced it together mm-hmm. that there are similarities that there's uh, you know that yeah. there's no connection yet number three yes oh, anna schneider <laughs> is eight months pregnant let just like let that sink in it is heartbreaking she wakes up and finds that there is a stranger standing above her bed who then bashes her in the face Fuck repeatedly. You. <laughs> I mean, just the audacity of attacking anyone, but on top of it, a pregnant woman. I know. A young so... pregnant woman who's by herself is yes. defenseless. And so she is discovered shortly after midnight by her husband, which is also so heartbreaking. And because of the attacks, she doesn't remember anything. She basically has, like, trauma-induced amnesia. Oh, my God. And they think that he most likely beat her with the lamp from the bedside table. (gasps) So, again, different weapon, but same M.O. of using what's in the home. Right. To attack the victims. And again, they're now trying to figure out, well, nothing was from any of these. They're not putting them together, but nothing from any of these attacks was stolen. Uh-huh. Nothing was ransacked. So That's th- true. That's the only consistent thing yes. they have is nothing's being stolen and he's breaking into the mm-hmm. house. And so, again, they're not being pieced together, but the similarities are starting to stack up. And so, thank God, she actually gives birth and their daughter oh. is healthy two days later. Um, and this is the first one because it's a break-in, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. They start to speculate, the investigators, that there is possibly a connection between what happened in the first two. So now there's been three, and they are starting to piece together enough similarities mm-hmm. that there's a plausible connection. Number four. <gasps> Joseph Romano was an elderly man. People. I know. It's like the weakest members of society are being Gosh. targeted and it breaks my heart. Is it's it is, is right. this guy like mm, I need an easy call. I think pregnant so. woman check and older man. Mother flipping check. Yeah. Why not? And he's living with his two young nieces. No. I know. Oh, so no. they wake and they hear a commotion. So they go into their uncle's room oh, no. and he has two gashes on his head and they see a man fleeing the house which you know thank god that he didn't yeah, turn on them yeah he didn't them. turn on them yeah but even though they're very young they actually give the first description 
of the Axeman. Get it, you tiny little badasses. I know. Like, I know. In that moment of fear, they fuck with grandpa. You fuck with you the grandchildren. Don't mess with our like people. Oh, you I, don't fuck with people. No, and so they say it was a dark-skinned, heavy-set man who wore a dark suit and a slouched hat. So again, these are super generic things, but it's the first descriptor mm-hmm. of any credibility right. that they have. And unfortunately, Joseph Romano did die two days later because of the severe head trauma. Uh-huh. But the similarities are, again, super shocking. Nothing was stolen from mm-hmm. the home, and there was a bloody axe found in the backyard. And then this is the defining mo a panel of the door had been chiseled out and that's how the axemen had entered the home so it's this very specific way and this is the turning point romano's murder is where the iceberg tips people in new orleans lose their minds oh god there's enough similarities the chiseling of the door Mm -hmm. you know it's not like he broke through a window it's something very calculated it's something very violent and it's using the things in your own home with no motive you're not being robbed you're not being assaulted Mm -hmm. other than murdered right Right. yeah and they are losing the city loses their mind and from this chaos emerges don john d'antonio who is like my hero he is like a white knight he's this retired ex-inspector he's like old school and he's like hold up there's too many similarities and this is not just unrelated like all of these things he's the one that starts piecing it together to the 1911 murders Mm -hmm. he's the one that pieces together the first three incidents and he's the one even though the term serial killer is still a solid like 60 years from being invented yeah he starts putting together what will later become the characteristics that we now define as serial killer he's like ahead of his time and like this voice of reason amidst the chaos of the city okay if there's a movie made of this story like who would play him like who who would clint eastwood maybe you think so it has to be someone like old and grisly and just like unfazed by the gore and like the chaos around him oh my goodness not Antonio Banderas. No. no. <laughs> Ooh, he's well, someone handsome. like Dan, Don Antonio, Ooh, you know. so handsome. Not Daniel Day-Lewis. He's done now. Ugh. He's like, he's like, I'm over it. <laughs> That's a separate podcast, but <laughs> I cannot with him. Um, so he basically says that the homicides have too many similarities mm-hmm. and that the potential killer is most likely an individual with dual personalities Mm. and that he is killing without motive because he's acquired the taste for it, but that he's most likely a normal law-abiding citizen who is then overcome by an overwhelming desire to kill. They always are. They always (laughs) are. And he says that he is most likely a real-life Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So again, Mm -hmm. the term serial killer does not exist at this point, like in history. It hasn't been coined yet. There's not enough research. If you have not watched um, Mindhunter on Netflix, cheap plug. I know. It's all about the work that it took for modern day criminology to have these kinds of terms. So at this point, it's just this lone investigator being like, this is what's adding up. This is what I know to be true. And it gives them at least some kind of focused 
path to follow in their forward investigations. Mm-hmm. So, the next murder. Huh, it doesn't I know, stop. It doesn't stop. <laughs> it doesn't stop. Is Charles Cortamiglia. Sorry for my amazing Italian. Cortamiglia. Yes. yes. And then his wife, Rosie, and their infant daughter, Mary. Again, the the weakest, defenseless, purest parts of society. No. So, again, another grocer. He hears the screaming across the street. He runs across and he finds this family, the Cortamiglias. Yep. (laughs) You got it. I'm very white, in case you can't tell. (laughs) And they are all... So they're in the doorway and they're covered and they're holding their daughter who has no, died. No. She was so young that she died instantly from a head wound. Oh. Charles, the husband, is on the floor. He's also bleeding. And Rosie is the only one still conscious. And again, the panel in the back door has been cut away. A bloody axe is found on the back porch of the home. Mm-hmm. Rosie then passes out. And then, again, the fear that is permeating the city takes over. She comes to, and she has just lost her child, and she starts slinging accusations. Oh, yeah. And the person that she accuses is the grocer who came and found them and his son. So, again, the people who are discovering it become the instant suspect. She accuses them, and even though... Uh, sorry, his name, the grocer, was Orlando uh, Giordano, and his son, Frank Giordano. Mm-hmm. Orlando was 69. There's no way he's doing these. <laughs> yes, it's ridiculous. And his son is massive. He's over six foot five. He's well over 200 pounds, and there's physically no there's way. There's no way that he could fit through he the panel. He could not of fit that through the panel. <laughs> Doesn't matter. The police arrest both of them. They're sentenced. The dad is sentenced to life in prison. Frank Giordano is sentenced to death by hanging. And so this is all happening. And the husband, Charles Cortamiglia, he um, is disputing this the whole time. But because she's so adamant and because the city is so afraid and because the police are so desperate to have... Now there's a death of a child. There is. They won't listen. He's disputing her. It goes to trial. He testifies against it. It goes. They get convicted. Mm -hmm. He divorces his wife in protest and anger because he's so, like, over. I mean, it's chaos. A year goes by. Thank God they don't proceed with, like, the hanging. But both of them serve a year in prison. And she admits that she lied that she was in grief and that she was jealous and that she was angry and lashing out and just falsely accused them mm-hmm. so they're released immediately thank god thank god because i read too like they, like they were well one of them was ready to be hung it was so close it was very very close he was like literally at the skin of his teeth it was and just because she and again we all grieve differently yes like all god's children i get it don't accuse people in your anger. Like, that's <laughs> no, a good rule gonna, of thumb. Yeah, it's not going to help any. So, she, uh, so that's the Cortamiglia family. So then, this is now the zenith of these murders because now the letter. Oh, shit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, a letter is published in the 
uh, Times, I forget what the... Times Picayune. Thank you. Yes. I always read it with my mama whenever I go visit her in the summer. Hey, mama. <laughs> I know. Um, they publish this letter from none other than the Axeman. Oh, my gosh. So I'm going to read this letter. Because you are a trained actor. I really am. And you, I think, <laughs> I mean, you can win an Oscar for this, can't I you? I really hope so. A podcast Oscar. I know. A Posker? Posker. Potsker. I like it. The first annual Potsker Award Ooh. goes to Bryce Mitchell Williams. Do you have a couple of words of like you want to say? I something? accept this on the behalf of everyone who came before me. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Uh, Your Potsker. Yes. Um, so basically what happens is the newspaper publishes this letter and when you hear the letter there's a reason why specifically but i'm going to read it now so you can kind of get the terror that is instilled in this city you're gonna take us to church with this it's time for church okay great sitting at the pew you hell march 13th 1919 esteemed mortal of new orleans they have never caught me and they never will they have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent to keep me company below. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty... Francis, Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now... To be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, 
I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this as it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. Fuck you. (laughs) I'm sorry. There was like some points where I'm like, fuck you. uh, (laughs) It's, it's both. Taunting. It's It's taunting. I'm speechless because it's equal parts taunting and laughable. It is. He's using violence. Like, it's like hyperbolic expressions right there. That's the best way I could think of. And it just reminds me of the letters of the Zodiac Killer, Son of Sam. It's like they're using the killings, like himself, like they're using the killings as a platform Mm -hmm. and rallying up the media. Like, I'm controlling and summoning up fear and I'm controlling and summoning up the media. So, ha, ha, ha. And it's so crazy because he... Jazz it up. First of all, jazz (laughs) it up. Like, okay, I'm going to need you to really think about what you just said. But it's also... There's enough biblical jargon yeah. in here. Yes. That it's like, okay, you've clearly read the good book. Yeah. But like you're using it in these super perverse ways. Like you're quoting like one of the quotes, the better had he never been born is like a direct quote of Jesus, but you're using it to talk about your own murders. Yes, like, he's using what, his killings as a platform. He's what, using this yes. as a platform, which is what a sense Fuck of self-aggrandizement. Like, ugh. Uh-huh. So gross. But then on the other hand, it's like, do you kind of just like jazz? Like, <laughs> is this just like some random person? Like, I really wish there was more jazz. I know. There needs to be more jazz in the city of jazz. Yeah. like me. I'm going to write a letter. Yeah. <laughs> and so no. the, this letter is, you know, again, it whether or not you take it that seriously, I wonder, mm-hmm. is it the actual person? Yeah. Is it someone capitalizing on the fear that's gripping the city? Right. Is it, it's any number of these things. But again, what it sets off is another media circus. Yes. People start taking their own ads out. They're pissed now. It yes. riles the city up. But also, everybody does it. The jazz clubs on that Tuesday mm-hmm. were packed. I mean, there was like historians that talked about it. It was like the busiest night and there were no murders that night. Mm-hmm. So it's like this weird thing where people are like writing into the newspaper being like, here's where I live. I'll leave my door open. Like he doesn't have to ruin my property. I want him to come to my house. I'll hide all the axes. Yes. They're like taunting him. Bitch, try me. Literally mm-hmm. like, oh, come on. I'm not scared of you. But then when it comes time, everybody's Everyone there. is like, oh, no, we're going to party. Mm-hmm. No, we're going to have a big jazz party. I love jazz. I, I wanted love, to be here. I know. <laughs> no one made me come <laughs> here. Jazz it up. Ooh, the speakeasy is amazing. I know. Weeping in a corner. <laughs> in a fetal position. Yes. Yes. So, so now <sighs> we shift to Steve Boca, the first murder post letter. And this is, again... Mm an escalation of sorts because it fits all the mo he's found with his head cracked open uh he actually is conscious and runs to his friend's house where he then collapses and the back door had been chiseled away (sighs) and again cannot remember the trauma has caused amnesia 
like I said before, the Axeman's becoming a little more sloppy. It's, yes. He's like, I'm going to kill all you mortals. Well, you're just whacking us aside of, of the head. Yes. Like, you're, what is it? You're not doing enough, like, arm days? It's, you're not working out and doing is. your arm days, dude. Come on. And his kill count is so sloppy. Yeah. Because he, like you're saying, it's, it's such a good example of just like, well, you're not. You're, as meticulous as you think you are. You're attacking them with a very violent weapon. You're just whacking them over the head, but mm-hmm. you're whacking them to the point of unconsciousness. Yeah. Like when I think of an axe, it's like, oh, you're going to, like, you, yeah, do some damage. Like chop my head off or something. Ugh. Ugh, don't even think about that. <laughs> so the next victim is Sarah Lohman, and she is. Neighbors come to check on her. God, there's more. There's more. Fuck, We're dude. almost to the end, actually. So Fuck he's a duck. he's really wrapping it up. <laughs> uh,. And neighbors come to check on her because she's 19. She lives alone. They haven't seen her. They can't get a response from her. She's 19? She's 19. I know. They break into her home. Mm -mm. And she's found lying unconscious in her bed. She has a severe head injury. And she's missing several teeth. Oh, no. So, again, another escalation. Now, the teeth have started to... And they're not bashed out. They've been pulled out. So it's not like shards, it's the teeth. Fuck? Yes. Again, a bloody axe is discovered on the front lawn of the building. And she actually does recover from her injuries, but again, doesn't remember. All the details are apparently a wash. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to our final murder. I'm sorry, our final attack. Mike Pepitone. Oh, no. His wife wakes up, hears the attack happening walks in on it and a large axe wielding man flees the scene and he is covered mike is covered in his own blood and the blood has covered the entire room and the axeman where he flees is towards the back of their home where their six children are sleeping oh so she starts screaming thinking he's going to kill their children as well and it causes a ruckus enough that he just flees the house. Thank God. So Mike Papatoni does die and leaves Sarah, his wife, and... Did I say that right? Eleonora. Why did I say Sarah? Sarah was the last (laughs) victim. Sorry. Or Esther. Um, Esther. Esther Papatoni. So she is left with their six children, Mm -hmm. and this is the last of the killings. And literally within the span of the year, they start... They think there are some earlier from, like, 1911, but Mm -hmm. this spree is one year long, and then as soon as it starts, done. Come on, dude. They jazzed it up. They even wrote a freaking song on your behalf. Yeah, they wrote that song, The Axeman. uh, I think it's, no, The Mysterious Axeman Jazz. Mm -hmm. And it was written by Joseph John uh, Davila, who wrote the song following that letter. Mm -hmm. Like, he was inspired. And it was a Papa Don't Scare Me. Don't Scare Me, Papa. That's what it was. Isn't that crazy? And it's like, dude, like, come on, man. You didn't leave much of a mark. Like, this was was very violent, but it it didn't, you know, cost a lot of casualties. Like, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, yeah, we lost Mike Pepitone. But the Mm -hmm. rest of them, they were just whacked over the head unconscious amnesia but yeah yeah. which is kind of odd but you're wondering or possibly thinking could it be maybe a copycat you know i think that is a strong possibility yeah but then again like before the letter too it was a string of the same assaults huh it's all very suspect 
stroking my invisible beard. Ooh, mm. it's so majestic. I know, or my invisible monocle. Well, and that's, yeah. it, you know, we we keep hitting on these themes. How much of it is that the media circus contributes right. to the chaos, and then it the more published it becomes, the easier it is to mimic or mm-hmm. to capitalize on or to benefit from. Oh, it makes me so sad. I know. So... What is his count? He's attacked how many, like 12 people, and he's killed five or six of them so far? Yes. I think it's just the brazenness of the, like, there's there's no MO or motive yeah. other than the attack, right. which is not always the case. You look at other serial, actual serial killers. Mm-hmm there's sexual elements or that's another thing so there's all these things that are like wrapped up in it yeah he had no motive Mm -hmm. uh his crimes were not sexually motivated Mm -hmm. not one bit and robbery was never committed um the one thing i did notice is that there was always a male presence in each of the homes that he broke into yes uh but it, it doesn't seem like he you know attacked a specific person first it was just like oh He'll do. Whoever, or she'll do. Yep. Whoever is like, you know, I feel like, you know, whacking. Mm-hmm. Or beating over the head with an axe. Yeah. So I'm wondering, because I even mentioned to this to you, too. I'm wondering, you know, if maybe Mafia was involved. If this was oh. a calling card. Mm-hmm. If this was probably brought on by the male counterparts of these homes. Because mm-hmm. betting and gambling were really big in New Orleans and it's still to this very day too and i'm wondering if these gentlemen had you know debts that they didn't pay wow yeah and they you know had this coming mm-hmm. you know if you don't pay up we're gonna it's gonna cost you your life or it's gonna cost you the life of a loved one yeah or we're gonna you know make it look like an accident kind of thing which it didn't but um well and that i think would explain to the police response to it because it's like in some time, in like some of the instances, they are just barely following police protocol. Yeah. In other times, they're like just accusing whoever happens to be in the vicinity almost. Yeah. Then later, two of the lead investigators are demoted for quote unquote. I know, whatever poor... happened with Don and Antonio. Well, he was retired from the start. So he's just like a technically, he's a private citizen who yeah. just happens to have experience it's saying, like, this like is fucked up. I'm uh, out. Bye. Why is no one else putting these links of the chain together? <laughs> But two of the lead investigators were demoted for, quote, poor police work. But it's just like, yeah. <laughs> like but the whole, like, it's bringing all police so didn't which do I think, anything. Yeah. Which I think would explain, like, again, perhaps a mob-type presence was using the cloud of fear and chaos. That's true. And capitalizing on it that to execute true. their will. That's pure conjecture. Mm-hmm. But it could make sense. It does. I still think there was a person doing these things who mm-hmm. was a single individual yes but who knows like who was funding that who was motivating that it's there's all these like loose ends that just like are unanswerable because of the chaos that bleeds into it right now let's talk about these loose ends let's do it we have suspects and motives yes. so as you heard earlier you know he had no motives the axe men but the things that were consistent was that he was breaking into the homes mm-hmm. of italian grocers mm-hmm. he wasn't robbing anything and you know there was no, no sexual motivation behind anything 
Um, it could have been a mafia hitman, or it could have been an Irish mob hitman, or it could have been something supernatural, as other people were, you know, believing mm-hmm. due to the media. So we look into the first suspect. We have Jake Bird. Mm. Who is Jake Bird? You're the cliff notes of this homeboy. <laughs> Jake Bird was known in the 1940s as the nation's most prolific serial killer. A drifter with no roots, born and raised in rural Louisiana. He was a transient who traveled all over the states, killing one person in almost every single state for each year of his life, from what he claimed. His victims of choice were Caucasian women. Now, he was caught for attempted murder and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon in 1947. So while he is, you know, in custody for this, he soon confesses (gasps) to all the murders. He tells the cops... I've killed all these people in all these states, all these women. They're all due to me. I murdered them. And he is immediately convicted. Oh, my goodness. So his trial takes up to three months. And they obviously find him guilty. And they sentence him to death. Now, what was so famous about this trial Mm -hmm. and why they gave him the hex, the the, the slogan, hex of the Birdman, is that he was angry that his defense couldn't prevent him from getting the death penalty. So it was recorded that he stood before the court and said, all of you would die before me. And months after that court hearing, supposedly five men in that courtroom died of a heart attack and another guy died of pneumonia. So six men altogether died following the months after that trial. So they claim they called it. It was a hex. It was the hex of, you know, the Birdman, Jake, Mm. the Birdman. So while he was in jail, though, see, this is where it kind of gets kind of sticky. He confesses to his cellmates that he committed another 44 murders around the states, primarily in Louisiana and Texas. Then he dies in 1949 in Washington. So he really didn't specify that he was responsible Mm -hmm. for this tale of murders, but it could be possible mm-hmm. because he was, you know, a drifter serial serial killer who a majority of these deaths, these murders that he committed was with an axe. Wow. Then here we go. Mafia. Mm-hmm. Could it be the mafia? We have two families that are running a mafia ring in New Orleans. We have the Provenzanos and the uh, Matrangas. Uh, of New Orleans. So these are two big mafia families that are actually neck and neck with one another. So these are the two largest and well-known Italian mobs in Louisiana. So according to Marion Davis, Mm. author of Axeman of New Orleans, or New Orleans, (laughs) the true story, and I really recommend this book because it really goes Mm -hmm. in depth in the case. If you really want to learn more about the city, where it was, and about this case, like this is one of the best books that I've come across. Mm -hmm. So during the 1900s, according to Miriam Davis, New Orleans was plagued by black hand crimes, a form of petty extortions where the victim, most likely an Italian immigrant with a successful business, would receive a note signed with a black handprint or skull and crossbones demanding money. So if the cash wasn't paid, then a warning would be sent out. And if that warning was ignored, the consequences ended in death or the victim's place of business was to be burnt down to the ground. 
So this was creating a massive sense of fear within the Italian community, not to mention in her book, the I think the Magianos or the Magios, the first couple that were slain, they had a note like this, but it was written in chalk in front of their home. Oh, wow. And the message read along the lines of, um, uh, I think it was like, Tom Maggio, you'll be sitting up tonight. Pay Miss Plumy her cash. Oh, my God. So that could have been mm-hmm. a possibility, a big, big, big possibility. These mafias also had hitmen. Mm-hmm. These were sociopaths. They were getting paid to kill mm-hmm. and to deliver very physical messages. Mm-hmm. So here you go. That is the second, you know, group of suspects right there. Then you have this interesting twist. I love a twist. So I'm sure some of you guys are wondering, well, this is all based in New Orleans. How is this, this whole entire case has anything to do with our podcast since mm-hmm. we're Hollywood based yes. and we're always talking about Hollywood, you know, true crime and yes. paranormal. Well, we have the suspect, Doc Mumphrey, and his story ends up in Los Angeles with one of the victims of the Axeman. So that's why I thought... It all comes back to Hollywood. It does, it does. And like you mentioned in the first episode, Bryce, when you shake the nation on its side, what happens? All the crazies shake out to the edge. There you go. And that edge is Los Angeles over here. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are. I know. We encountered uh, many of them off of uh, Sunset and Hollywood Boulevard today. So many. So Doc Mumphrey here, which is what you got to know about this dude. So he has very close ties to the mafia. He's obstinately a pharmacist, and which is why he is given, you know, the nickname Doc. So mm. it has always been seen as somewhat suspicious that a similar string of killings carried out in 1910 and 1911 stopped when Doc Mumphrey was in jail and began again when he was released in 1918. That is so suspect. It's very, very, very sketch. So the reason he was in jail was due to kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon. Mm. Now, according, so this is where it gets dicey. According to NOLA.com, we have Miss Pepitone. Esther Eleonora Pepitone started over. She moved with her children to Los Angeles in January of 1921. And in September that year, she became Esther or Eleonora Albano when she married Angelo Albano, who was also from New Orleans. So just before the wedding, Angela Uh, Angelo Albano had dissolved a business partnership with another New Orleans man who was Doc Mumphrey. No. Who was, by the way, Mr. Mumphrey was living in San Bernardino. So Mumphrey was known by a long list of first names, including Joseph Leone and Frank and last names among them, Manfrey, Monfrey, Mumphrey, and even Humphrey. Do not trust someone with that many names. I know. It's not, ugh. I know. It's, it, even like two first names. Don't. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Don't even go there. Don't even go it's there. It's not That's scientific, a separate, <laughs> that's a separate it podcast. Is, it's proven. It is. So on October 27, 1921, two years to the day after the slaying of Mike Pepitone, Angelo Albano left home, uh, according to reports, humming a happy tomb to buy vegetables for dinner. No. According to a story in Los Angeles Times, he was seen by witnesses at the market and later made a withdrawal from the bank and then was never seen again. So he disappears. Oh my God. 
I know. He's off on his way getting food for his family. Beautiful vegetables. I know, for his family. No. I could see him making some spaghetti with some, you know, vegetable sauce or something, oh, you no. know, or maybe vegetables. No, he's probably making it a pie gumbo. Ooh. I know. Don't even We're very it. hungry. Very, very <laughs> hungry. I know, crimsies. Mm. Oh, yes. Mm. Hey, girl. I know. Crimsy, what's up? So on December 5th, 1921, about noon, Esther Albano was with three of her children at home at 554 East 36th Street in Los Angeles when Doc Mumphrey knocked on the door Esther Albano then greeted him, and then, this is what reports have stated, mm-hmm. he placed his hand on his hip pocket and demanded $500 and my jewelry, according to Esther. She later told police, uh, he stated that if I did not give him the home, he would kill me the same way he had killed my husband. <gasps> Apparently referring to Angelo, Esther Albano believes. So Esther Abano went to her bedroom and got a 38 caliber revolver. Damn, girl. She fired in Mumphrey's direction, missing with her first shot. As Mumphrey struggled to remove his own gun from his pocket, she fired again, hitting him this time. She squeezed the trigger again and again and again. She continues shooting at Mumphrey. Mumphrey slips down the steps because she was living on the second part of this apartment building. And after emptying the revolver, she grabbed a second revolver. And what? Em- <laughs> she went Khaleesi on his ass. Wow. She went full on Khaleesi on his ass. That is when you know you have like crossed. Like, the, the, the my line. one revolver's done. Welcome to my the second, second revolver. I like know. that's Damn, girl. Bring out the second dragon yeah. right there. <laughs> Empties the second revolver into Mumphrey. He slid nearly to the bottom of the steps, lifeless, and any secrets he had died with him that day. She, he dies on the spot. No. Then Esther Albano went to the grocery store next door. Gotta get at, those vegetables, girl. I know. She's like, excuse me, I need to put my revolver down, grab my bag, <laughs> and go to the store. Doop-a-doo. Singing a happy tune. No. And ask the man working there to call the police. Esther is a badass. Turns out she shoots Mumphrey eight times. Eight. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's... To the head, chest, and abs. Not messing around. Motherfucking Khaleesi. Do not mess with her husband or her vegetables. Or her children. Because oh, yeah, he those threat- Yeah, because he was like, <laughs> he was like, I'm going to threaten you. You're going to give me your money and you're going to give me your home, your jewelry, everything. And she's like, fuck you, bitch. Like, <laughs> Wow. I just feel, and I even put this on Instagram and Twitter. It's like, I feel like the ghost of Oleana Terrell like, was talking through her. Like, I love it. They are sheep. You're dragon. Be a dragon. Yes. And she did that. With her 38 pistol. So Esther is later tried for Mumphrey's murder. Sure. She dumps money, a whole bunch of money, into her defense and is acquitted in 1922. She ends up moving back to New Orleans where she lives a quiet and peaceful life until her death in the late 40s. Wow. She's like, fuck this. I'm going to go back home. You don't come for mama. You do not come for mama. You do not. She was like already over the edge. Wow. She was already over the edge. Like, you you killed my first husband yeah. if it was you. And then now you, you know, my second husband is is gone. Uh, yeah. And now you're, you know, here to take me. Not today, Satan. Nope. Not, not today. today. Mm-mm. Love it. I know. 
So this is how the strange case kind of ends up mm-hmm. in Los Angeles in this weird chain of events. You know what I always say is that Los Angeles is the biggest little town in the world. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that all three of them from New Orleans happen to end up living in the same general area of Los Angeles yeah. is too coincidental. That oh. is too crazy it is very coincidental when you live in new orleans it is six degrees of separation yeah i've ever since i've moved here i've run into people everywhere aco- not only friends but acquaintances yep. here i'm like what are you doing oh, yeah. here They're oh so, i just moved here what so many times i'll bump into someone from high school and i'm like i'm sorry what's what happening happened? It yeah is, it is the weirdest phenomenon in la and i've never experienced it anywhere else that i've lived it but is like you see people here and the connections like you're saying it's six degrees it's honestly sometimes two degrees it's yes. so close you're it's like so close what to is happening why does this yeah. very large city feel like a high school reunion like i it's don't true. get it it's true or a murder reunion <laughs> for poor esther like it's insane oh my god i know i know exactly how you feel we see it and we live it every single day I know. Not to mention, well, in a light, I met one of my really good, one of my closest friends here. I was working in my fancy retail job when I first lived here in the amazing world of retail. And um, I met one of my really good friends who moved here from New Orleans. And she overheard me telling a customer that I was from New Orleans. And, you know, it was just that instant instant attraction. And when you meet someone from Louisiana from the South, it's it's forever, man. It's like you have this kinship instant connection it it is an instant connection and someone once told me i'll never forget it but the south the south is a place that stays in your blood and it never leaves yeah it never ever leaves so to me it's like yeah it's in the blood (laughs) (laughs) it's in the blood you imprinted on me yeah (laughs) i know so for you what do you think is the most likely because this is an unsolved murder right. spree still yeah. there is no official it's still a cold case mm-hmm. i mean whatever secrets like the, that yep. this article said uh whatever secrets died with Mumphrey, you know will never come yeah. out it'll never you know be exposed but um in my opinion I feel that it was mafia-related. Okay. I feel that maybe the men that were involved in a lot of these cases that were the victims Mm -hmm. or, you know, the male counterparts in these homes that were attacked, Mm -hmm. I felt that they had debt that needed to be paid to the mafia. And I feel that the mafia hired someone who was crazy Mm -hmm. and got really caught up in um, attacking and murdering Mm -hmm. these people. It could have also been the Irish mob. Oh, right. The Irish also had a small community. We Irish are very crazy. You guys are yes. because we have an area in New Orleans is called the Irish Channel. Oh, and no. that was an Irish community back in the 1800s, but it was also a big immigrant community. Sure. So you had the Fighting Irish, and there were a lot of underground boxing rings mm-hmm. back then, and there were a lot of bets. So if you think about it, maybe. Sure. Maybe it could have been a bet or a gambling thing that went wrong. Yeah. Who knows? And the targets were Italian people. Wow. I mean, it, that's what I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When money and fear is involved. Yeah. It's a deadly combo. It's a deadly combo. What do you think? I think I'm very much on the same page with you. I think 
I'm not sure if I have an opinion about which mafia it was. I think it was a mafia. I think the sort of weird element that happened is that they happened to hire a hitman, a hitman who developed a taste. I think there is some uh, acting on his own accord. I think we see that in the sloppiness mm-hmm. as it goes on. Those don't, the first ones seem much more calculated. Yeah. They're in places of business. Mm-hmm. They're like in and out. Um, again, as we go, they start seeming a little bit more random, a little bit more chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the letter really speaks to that as well. I don't, yeah. that doesn't, seem to me like something that the mob would do. I think they were able to probably function under the shield that the letter and the chaos provided. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my my instinct is that it was initially, like you're saying, the mob forcing someone, or not forcing, paying someone mm-hmm. to do these specific things, but that the, the retired detective, I think he was right. I think it's someone who then was who developed a taste for the killing. Yes. So that weird Italian lo- right place. Italian barber lumberjack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is a deadly combo. Deadly. But I think, it, you know, it's that Close perfect storm of like he, someone who is being paid to do a horrible thing. Right. And that mental capacity snaps and they develop a taste for it and they take it further than what was initially required. I think it's somewhere that seems closest to the, no, possibility for me. That's a good possibility. Yeah. I agree. I agree. But Stay who knows? Stay out of the mob, y'all. <laughs> Just don't do it. It's not worth it. But they're like family. Oh, well. No. It is. It, it's It's so funny. When I was reading this, I, I, had, I had an ex-boyfriend that lived in New Orleans, and he was also Italian. And he told me he has friends that were involved in some shady shit in New Ooh. Orleans. Yeah, he didn't want to tell me these stories, so I believe it. Yeah. I believe it, yeah. There's a tone people get mm-hmm. when they say certain things, uh-huh. and they don't have to even tell you or expound on it, mm-hmm. but you just know. Like, yeah. oh shit, this is the real deal. They're not joking. They're not pulling not my leg. not fucking around, man. Like, okay. Like, that not okay (laughs) so crazy (laughs) and they're still operating to this very day oh Oh, yeah there was a big bust too in the 90s between the two families the big mafia families in louisiana so yeah i mean it's still an ongoing operation i tell you that so now guys let's go into the meteor part of the story i'm sure you guys are like oh where's the paranormal part well here it is they're screaming at us (laughs) i know they're like get to the fucking point we're We're gonna slice into this with an axe Mm -hmm. (laughs) there you go so some claim that the axe man still lingers within the French Quarter in a hotel courtyard, and the haunted hotel of Ursulines is the place. I'm not kidding. That's what it's called. It's called the haunted hotel. When you walk past or walk towards the entrance of this place, there's a plaque that says the haunted hotel of Ursulines. Me walking immediately past it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just got my little sketchers on, like, just mall walking. I know, just looking at the ground, don't look up. Yes. So it's it's a haunted hotel off Ursuline Street, and Oof. then they decided to put two and two together. So it's a stop on one of the haunted tour walks in the French Quarter, and it's said to be one of the top three most haunted hotels of the French Quarter with stories of its old owner Miss Mamie who watches over the hotel and makes sure that its patrons treat it with respect 
However, psychics have claimed to have felt another strong presence in the back corner of the hotel's <gasps> courtyard. Don't ever go to the back. I know. Never go in the dark places, oh. man. <laughs> <laughs> so some claim that the spirit of the, of a serial killer... They say it's a, it's a spirit of a serial killer. They get those vibes, hides within the shadows of the courtyard. Psychics had even seen pools of, like, visions of pools of blood on the courtyard ground. Oh, my God. They feel that it's a male presence, mid to old age, hiding within the greenery. They believe that he is hiding from someone, possibly from the police. Like, he's on the run and he's hiding from somebody. Uh. Patrons have also felt as though they're being watched as they're sitting there, you know, relaxing in the courtyard. They see a shadow person kind of walking back and forth in a specific corner, hiding in the back. And they also feel, like, a sense of fear and anxiousness. People get this this sense that they're being watched, Mm -hmm. that someone is coming out to get them. That's what they feel. So psychics have also pointed out that this is the this entity mm-hmm. goes way way back. So they believe that there is a connection with this entity and the Axeman. Oh. So they also claim that it's like whoever this person was committed a lot of murders. Mm-hmm. He was a criminal. That's what they they get point on. Mm-hmm. Um, they believe that he left this residue of fear in that area. Wow. Because it's so strong. And people just don't like to hang out in the specific corner. So a lot of the paranormal investigations that do go on in the hotel, they hear a person, like they they have caught EVPs and they hear a person, mm-hmm. a male voice saying, leave, <gasps> kill, and axe. No. Yeah. And... Uh, they believe that it could be the Axeman of New Orleans hiding in that courtyard. Now, it gets even better. (laughs) In a May 2016 article on creepypasta.com, a picture emerged of what claimed to be the Axeman himself. And we have it posted on our Twitter and Instagram if y'all want to put this podcast on pause and we're going to sit here, you know, just pretty much filing our nails. Yeah. All right. Welcome back. Hi, welcome back. (laughs) So this picture claimed to be the work of a photographer, Eduard Martel. He's a French photographer who traveled across the USA in the early 20th century while testing his new invention, a camera with an automatic exposure setting and shutter mechanism attached to an adjustable timer. So a camera with a timer, in other words. So this photo was one of many shot by Martel's new camera, which he often hid from the public view to capture the most candid shots possible, as his subjects were usually unaware they were being photographed. So that is, that's not okay, sir. I know, I know. Like, you crossed the fucking line right there. Did like, you get my was, waiver? No. I know. Did you get my good angle? At least get my Thank good you. fucking angle. Oh, yeah. Angle. If I look good, anyone can photograph. Like, that's <laughs> fine. If I look good, keep on snapping, baby. Like, wait, wait, let me see it. Oh, I can't see it. It doesn't have that fucking screen. All right. Ugh. Never fucking mind. <laughs> you do not have my permission. We can't delete. Fuck. All right. Nah. So the story claims. So, well, actually, Martel's invention didn't bring him any success. Sure. And neither, it would seem, did his photos. But he reportedly died penniless in 1955, and a large piece of his collection was left to his daughter, Jeanne. And it was Jeanne who found this photo. And I'm going to show you again, Bryce. Oh, God, I hate even looking at it. What do you see? What do you see? I mean, that is a 
that's a man in a doorway, right? Like that clearly. Yes. But he and he's looking at Martel's direction. Which is like how would he know? Why know. would he know the camera is there? I know. Oh, so God. a lot of people believe that, you know, what uh people have studied about this picture, it's obviously it's obviously New Orleans. Yes. It it looks like he's going into a residence. It looks like it's the early hours because there's no one on the street besides Martel and this gentleman going in. And it looks like the guy is holding a fucking yeah, axe. Yeah, that's an axe. I mean... That's a fucking axe. And he is dressed according to periods. I'm really trying to, like, look at this picture and make it, a, like, a stair rail Yeah. in front of him. But it's clearly him holding an axe. It's like, doop-a-doo. I really want that to be to the stairs. Right. It's not stairs. <laughs> and, and, like, he... He's looking here. Like, he's yeah. looking oh. towards that direction with, it's an axe. It's a fucking axe in his hand. And, it, I mean, he is dressed according to period. Mm-hmm. He has a bowler hat. He has a three-piece sack suit. Like, Ugh. it's scary. It gives me chills. Which, if you think back to the two nieces, yes, that's exactly what they described. It's the description. No. So the story claims that the home into which the mysterious man is entering was determined to be the residence of Mike Pepitone, the Axeman's final victim. And ever since the image hit the web, rumors and theories began to buzz about its authenticity, which to date has not been confirmed or either denied. Mm -hmm. So that is the supernatural aftermath of the Axeman of New Orleans. And I knew, like, I I thought there had to be Mm -hmm. some sort of paranormal connection to this. With so much violence. Yeah. yeah, There's just so many In one of those dwellings or something. And I never thought that, oh my God, it could be the actual killer. But with such a strong presence and such a, you know, feeling of fear and anxiousness, it's like, it makes all sense. I wonder, too, I think one of the main things about hauntings especially is that sense of unfinished business so it to me would make sense that it's in the last home right the last place that you know he was able to commit these crimes like whether that's because he wasn't able to continue and wanted to whether it's because the wife and children lived like there's so many possibilities but that sense of unfinished and again the final one was so sloppy in comparison Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's <laughs> no me gusta. <laughs> no, 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 señor, no. <laughs> that is crazy, and I think we talked about this with Katie when she was on. If you haven't listened to that episode mm-hmm. with photos, the thing that's so interesting is that you're never going to convince people who are doubters. Like that's just not the reason for photographs in my opinion as someone who's I think there's like spectrum and I would consider myself a skeptic we've talked a lot about that yeah but I don't think I'm a doubter because there are enough things that I can't explain that leave room for belief in my mind and so when you see photos of course this photo of the axe man like whether it's confirmed or denied like that's really not I think the purpose you're never going to convince someone who doesn't want to be convinced right but when you look at this photo to me as someone who's very skeptical there's too many things that are quote unquote coincidences yeah yeah the fact that he is looking right at the camera when the camera was known to be hidden to me just speaks volumes to just how creepy and terrifying and plausible that all is to me exactly and martel got 
away unscathed. Like yeah. you think like, oh, you know, this guy's taking my picture. Back then, I don't think these people knew. No. What he had was a camera. No. Plus he tried to, like you said, he tried to hide it from, you know, the public. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people knew like what he was really doing. No. He's like, oh, I got my box with a timer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, in, <laughs> here's a little anecdote. Uh, <laughs> in high school, in art, we had to do a pinhole camera project, kind of as like a this is where cameras have come before we like jumped into like digital and uh-huh. film and all of that. And it was like a coffee can, and you like put a little, it was really oh, cool. Oh, we've done that in our Yeah, class too. it was really fun. But anyone who's done that, as you know, yeah. you make like one mistake and it's ruined and you have to start over. Yeah. So to like get these photos is a laborious effort. He didn't just like snap a selfie and this guy happened to be there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So again, I'm not trying to convince anybody. That's not really my intention or job. But, like, again, so many things have lined up that, like, it just happened. This very old timer worked to catch this. Like, that's crazy. Right. It's too coincidental in my mind to be, like, not there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so It's so creepy. I know. I hate it. And then there's also that the one comment too i even read it on one of the 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 boards too someone said oh well how come you know if he were to have processed this photograph with all this going on wouldn't he have turned it to the police well he was traveling all over the u.s i don't think he was in the know of what was going on and you know when you look at this photo on if you're not looking for it it just it at first glance looks like a person entering Entering a a building that's what i thought and then i zoomed in and i was like uh oh. That looks Uh-oh. like a fucking axe. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like we're looking at it one by itself, mm-hmm. knowing this is like probably it. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at a stack of all of these photos, you would just gloss right over it. Right. Well, thank God for his daughter for preserving that. Right. <sighs> Things always surface. I tell you that. Yes. yes. They always surface, and I'm a believer on mm-hmm. that. You know, look at uh, Harriet. <clears throat> I. <laughs> That's true. I mean, look at Harriet. Should Looking at you, girl. Nickel between your legs. <laughs> <laughs> that is both vulgar and good advice. The right, perfect combo. Right. Yeah. Well, guys, this was our episode of the Axeman yes. of Notlands. <laughs> That's the real murder here. New Orleans, New, New Orleans, or as the New Age, Nola. Yes. The Axeman of Nola. Ugh. I know, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in Yay, to today's thanks, episode. We really do appreciate it. And, of course, we can't go up and end this episode without doing our spiritual bays of the week. Yes. Holy mother flipping ectoplasm. There are so many bays out there that Bryce and I have been crushing on, and we wanted to do four, but we need to learn restraint. Like, a housewife needs to learn restraint when there's a happy hour on fucking rosé. Yeah, do not put me down for that. I'm not... <laughs> I will not be learning that. <laughs> so the first one is, and I'm so happy for these guys. I, I, I just adore the crap out of them. Booze and Brews yes. podcast. They are a kick-ass podcast about scary stories and tasty brews based out of L.A. It's <laughs> This podcast is such a fucking trip. Yes. It is a trip. It's like, it's like listening to scary stories at the Upright Citizens Brigade yes. Theater. All right, Vanessa, Melissa, and Engineer Bob, they're the co-hosts. They're fucking hilarious. I laugh to the point where I, where I pee a little. Yeah. I need depends while listening to them in some <laughs> episodes. 
Good. That's the exact <laughs> balance that you want. They, I've been like going back and forth with them on social media. They're hilarious and they're so nice and they're so sweet. I love it. They are flipping funny. Go check them out. They're Bruise and, no, Booze and Bruise podcasts. So I just, I'm just a complete stalker with them. And then the second one is It's About Damn Crime. Yeah. Co-hosts Brittany and Justine talk about all things true crime along with sharing creepy stranger danger stories. So these two locas are truly about that damn crime life. Love it. I know they're they're really cute and I follow them on Instagram and they're hilarious. They're they're I mean they're just two cholas going loca. Love it. <laughs> we see you all, we hear you, trust me, we do. Your time is coming. Our little pair of crushes. And of course, mm. we're not paid sponsors on this one company, but I have to give them a shout out cuz we want a little raffle with them yes we did i feel like we, i never heard i left their anything. box at I work know. price i forgot it's okay oh my god <laughs> it's parabox monthly i wanted to give them a shout out because they've been really really awesome mm -hmm. they've been really great and it's such a unique company yeah. so parabox monthly is a paranormal puzzle subscription box every month they ship out an exclusive paranormal theme shirt that contains hidden clues and the shirts come with um, an informational card that explains the theme and also many contain hints as to how to decode the shirt. So once the shirt is decoded, you click on one of their um, themes online through a tab and you find the shirt theme and then you enter the code and password. It's a process, but it's a fun process of puzzles and challenges. Love it. And if you're skilled enough to find the end of the puzzle or to match the puzzle by the end of the hunt, you'll be entered into a really cool drawing for additional merchandise. Yes. And I've actually signed up for them because I like the shirts. They're really They're super dope. cute. Yeah. They're fucking adorable. There's no contracts. You can cancel anytime. They have packages where it's like month to month, three mm -hmm. months or six months. And they're actually pretty affor affordable yeah. if you like that. So check them out. Parabox Monthly. And guys, if you love Hollyweird Paranormal, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. It really does help us out a lot, and it helps us become a little more visible. It helps all of us indie podcasters mm -hmm. become a little more visible. It does help us out a lot, and I've seen you guys leave reviews. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, so awesome. Thank you so much. I know. Heebie-jeebie, babes. I see you. You're going to get your shout-out soon. They, they left us uh, an we, awesome We review. had to sneak a little extra one in I there. Know. We can't restrain. I, I can't. I can't. The rosé the rose is everywhere. The rosé is everywhere, <laughs> indeed. Well, thank you so much, guys. We will catch you guys soon. I don't know what we're going to do, Bryce. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You guys have to follow us on Twitter. Yes. And on Instagram and Facebook to figure that out. All right. We'll take a do close. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Our music is by the Kinfolk Brass Band. And if you can't get enough Hollyweird Paranormal, then stalk us on Instagram and Facebook at Hollyweird Paranormal and Twitter at HWP Podcast. And if you have a story for our listener stories episode, you can email us at hollyweirdparanormal at gmail.com. You can also catch up on our past episodes on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podknife. I want to know.